hppodcraft.com. I had heard rumors of Seton's aunt long before I actually encountered her. Seton, in the hush of confidence or at any little show of toleration on our part, would remark, My aunt, or my old aunt, you know, as if his relative might be a kind of cement to an entente cordiale. From a boy's point of view, he looked distastefully foreign, with his yellow skin and slow, chocolate-colored eyes and lean, weak figure. Merely for his looks, he was treated by most of us true blue Englishmen with condescension, hostility, or contempt. We used to call him Pongo, but without any better excuse for the nickname than his skin. He was, that is, in one sense of the term, what he assuredly was not in the other sense, a sport. Seaton and I were never in any sense intimate at school, our orbits only intersected in class. I kept instinctively aloof from him. I felt vaguely he was a sneak, and remained quite unmollified by advances on his side, which, in a boy's barbarous fashion, unless it suited me to be magnanimous, I haughtily ignored. That's from the beginning of Walter Delamere's Seton's Ant. And you're listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Here at HPPodcraft.com, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. And our reader this week, we're using a standby, one of the good ones, rock solid, <laughs> Rachel Lackey, my wife. There it is, laying it down, doing it right, doing it for you. We picked this one because uh, the story, because it comes from H.P. Lovecraft's supernatural horror and literature. And Lovecraft mentioned this story in particular. Yeah, he mentioned a few stories and also a novel. I mean, he's clearly a big fan. This is our first Delamere story. I think we started out right because when people talk about this author, this is the one that comes up over and over and over again. But let's save Lovecraft's comments about the author for, I think, maybe this is probably going to be two episodes. Yeah. So maybe at the end of the second episode, we can talk about that a bit. And actually, Lovecraft has some really nice writing when he's describing yeah. this story and Delamere's work. But what do we know about the author? Just basic facts? Well, yeah, he's an English guy. He was born in Kent in 1873. His father was a banker, so he led a fairly cushy life. When he was 19, he joined this theater group. He fell in love with the leading lady of the play that he was mm -hmm. involved in, and she's 10 years older than him. Yeah. 29-year-old hooking up with a 19-year-old. <laughs> awesome. They got married eventually um, mm -hmm. when he was 26, and they had four children together. He worked as a statistics guy for Standard Oil before publishing his first book called Songs of Childhood. Yeah, he was at Standard Oil for something like 18 years and writing while he was working full-time until he received a pension of some kind that allowed him to finally focus exclusively on writing. He's probably more well-known for his children's stories and poems. But he's got a few scary stories as well. Yeah, it's interesting how that keeps coming up. The children's authors that also write ghost stories. I, I think that Delamere's got some interesting theories about imagination and children's imagination and how, you know, I think this this is a natural fit. A children's author is going to be able to bend to that dark side and be able to touch on some deep down emotions that we maybe manifested when we were children. And maybe that's yeah. why these authors can shift so well between one and the other. But as I said before, this is the story Seton's aunt that comes up again and again. So we'll get into a little more biography with him. There's there's interesting theories he has about uh, writing and imagination that I want to talk about later. But let's just get into the actual story. The story starts off with our narrator, this guy Withers, talking about a classmate of his named Arthur Seton. This kid wasn't well-liked, mostly because he wasn't pure-blood English. Or they assume that he's not. Because, well, they refer to him as having yellow skin, and they make comments about his eyes at different points. Mm -hmm. So maybe he's of East Asian heritage. They call him Pongo, which either means soldier or orangutan. I'm guessing it's 
orangutan because that's super racist and that's probably what is going on there. Yeah, I thought maybe because then I looked it up and saw that it was slang for soldiers. So thought maybe it was that the soldiers that are coming back from around that time that are coming back from India or whatever had these deep tans. They always describe them as having these really, really deep, deep, deep tans. And, oh. you know, like in Sherlock Holmes stories or in Saxon Romer stories. Could so be. I thought maybe that was it. But I also uh, I had a friend who had a dog named Pongo that was a really sad dog. We used to call him Pongo the goth dog. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all I could think about. Wait, how? How did he display his sadness? He would just kind of, I think the dog's face was just constructed for it, but he was just always putting his face down on his paws and staring off into space. I I don't know. He just looked, he was a really goth dog. (laughs) Was he listening to the swans? Also, he had a huge black tape for a blue girl and a swans collection. Yeah, that he, on vinyl. So he was a pretty cultured dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The people in the school are really just making fun of him. I didn't get the sense that they were tormenting him necessarily because even torment would mean that you'd have to get too close to this kid. Nobody really wants to hang out with them. Like like yeah. the narrator said, if they felt vaguely he was a sneak or something was going on. Yeah. He was pretty liberal with his money. It seems that Seton's got a lot of dough and he'd be doling it out different ways, possibly to try and make friends with people. Although there was an instance he gives of how he would buy these stupid things with his money. It says he bought, for instance, a silver bangle, which he wore above his left elbow. I'm imagining he kind of had, was, was he trying to cultivate like a Cleopatra look or something like that? <laughs> Uh, wait, is it, wait, is a, ba- a bangle like got a bell on the end of it? It's definitely some metal thing because they heat it up and they drop it down his neck. Like they steal it from him and they heat yeah. it up and drop it down his neck, which is a terrible prank to play oh, on somebody. <laughs> but you give him serious burns. It was rough for him, but Withers was nice to him this one time because Seton gave everybody some berry jelly. He had like too much of it. And so he gave some of it to Withers and he really, really liked it. Yeah. And he was like, oh man, thanks so much. And then... Seton invited him to spend half term over at his aunt's. Mm-hmm. And since he was just kind of high on the berry jelly, yeah. he agreed to it. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, sure. Of course I'll do it. And he just forgets about it after he says it. And then a few days before break, he reminds Withers and Withers starts to make an excuse. But then Seton says, my aunt expects you. She is very glad you're coming. She's sure to be quite decent to you, Withers. Mm. And he says that something about him, the emphasis the way that he spoke was unexpected, and it seemed to suggest that it wasn't really a friendly welcome as so much as an obligation. And also that it, the implication is because she treats me terribly. Yeah, yeah. So this is already a situation you don't necessarily want to get into. I also hate that feeling of remembering that you've committed to something that you don't really want to do. Like you were saying, he was just high oh, on yeah. getting the gift, and so he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. It'll be fine. I hate it when somebody suddenly reminds you, you said, yeah. you know, you were going to go to this party. No, did I? I thought that day would never come. Oh. I've been there. Yeah. I try not to do that anymore. And I think as an adult, I don't have to do it too much. No, no. I definitely, I had one really hard lesson. I, I may have even talked about it on the show before, but it was some third uh, of July weekend where I had stayed up at school. There was an English fella that I was only somewhat friends with. And we went out, mm-hmm. myself and Josh Bentley and this guy, and we were out at the bar the night before drinking and hitting it off. And he had never been up to Chicago for Taste of Chicago, which was running at that time. And I was like, oh, which was like a three and a half hour drive from school. But I had a car and I was like, well, shoot, I'm not doing anything tomorrow. Why don't you jump in and we'll drive up to Chicago and we'll go to this thing. Because I was just drunk and it sounded like a great idea. And then the <laughs> next day, I forgot all about it. And I just was, I slept in all day. This pre-cell phone. So it was like the phone was just downstairs ringing off the hook. And he left like 17 messages because he'd oh, gotten, no. he'd gone home and packed up and was like oh, excited no. and wanted to go. And, oh, you know, no. I slept so long that over the course of the messages, they were like, yeah, let's go. Where are you? Why aren't you responding to my calls? You know, you're a real asshole. <laughs> like it just, oh, the whole no. thing was on there. And then, 
Yeah, I was like, okay, teachable moment here. I am never going to do that again to somebody because I felt terrible about it. He should have known that you were drinking. Promises from a drunk are not promises you should be counting on. Yeah, <laughs> that is a yeah, that's a lesson that he learned as well. Well, it was college. That's where you pull. That's that's where he learned those. Lessons. Well, you know, maybe he didn't learn that lesson. Maybe he just thought you were a jerk. Well, if he learned that lesson at that time, it probably wouldn't have been the wrong one either. So they take the trip. This whole run up to it, you know, them getting into the town where the house is and. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff is described in such a way. You know, I don't know. There's there's a part where they stop uh, at a store and they get some rat poison. Yeah. Which is not explained. I guess that's just no. an errand he needs to go on. Very strange. And then there's he, he describes the town and there's a coach house and and they get to the house. And then there's this whole scene with a, with a tadpole pond. The writing here is just really great. It mm-hmm. sets this mood that I can't really describe. It's just it it's all believable and not really strange. But it is strange. Yeah. What I think great weird fiction does, it does it. It makes you go, is something going on here? Is something wrong? Is something other or not? I don't know. And that uncertainty makes you feel weird, which is the point of weird fiction. And it's great. Absolutely. Because this was going to be our our Lovecraftian month. I really think we hit the jackpot here. Oh, my God. These two sentences are, are what I'm referring to. It says, Seton led me at once through the little garden gate to show me his tadpole pond. Swarming with what, being myself not the least bit of a naturalist, I considered the most horrible creatures of all shapes, consistencies, and sizes, but with whom Seton seemed to be on the most intimate of terms. I can see his absorbed face now as he sat on his heels and fished the slimy things out in his sallow palms. There's that disclaimer. Yeah. I'm not a naturalist. No. So these very well might be just natural creatures he's not familiar with but there's also it's also possible that they're little freaky monsters that seton's been growing in this thing or something oh. you know and and he himself has got that unnatural thing so i got like a deep one insmith kind of vibe from that sure i was wondering where is that gonna go but not maybe maybe not maybe it doesn't mean anything maybe they're just tadpoles that he's never seen before of a different type of species of frog or maybe at a different stage of development that he's yeah not, exactly he hasn't seen before nothing really supernatural obviously happens in the story spoiler alert yeah there's no uh no skeletons burst out of the ground and no. start fighting people or no yeah. no no but it is really creepy and strange i just can't get enough of it but anyway i'm so glad you liked it because when i read i read it last week and i sent you an email and i said you know just be prepared because nothing really happens in it so i didn't know if you were going to have that reaction nothing does happen i mean stuff does happen but not in a skeleton jumps out of a closet or a big monster, <laughs> right. you know, eats a dude. Like nothing yeah, like nothing that. Nothing like it, that, no. I can't wait to keep talking about it. In fact, I'm not gonna wait. I'm gonna keep talking about it. <laughs> because we have the appearance of the uh the character here. Yes, Seton's aunt. So and how it happens is they're just sort of hanging out. This is another weird thing. They don't go into the house. It's like Seton and Withers sort of just meander around the yard. They don't go in the house. And he's kind of like, this is weird. But then he Mm -hmm. goes, this is kind of typical Seton. You know, he does weird stuff that I don't get. Why aren't we going into the house? But then Seton cries, look out, there she is, and points up (laughs) at the window. And that's a strange thing to say. Like, look out? Yeah, There's lots of that. There's lots of strange things. I mean, they're strange, but they're not that strange. Well, right, because I was thinking you do meet those people because he has this great does he says i had this feeling as if i'd been caught doing something yeah once i saw seaton's aunt there in the window because yeah. she's just up up in the garden in the window looking down at them and, and yeah. kind of cutting she's, this figure that is frightening yeah and posing he says but he realizes that she's not actually tall it was just that she had been up there 
you know, she's up higher than him and the window was big as well. So he felt like she was really big. But when he actually meets her a little bit later, he realizes that she's not. Right. But yeah, that's right. That feeling like you're in trouble, like you did something wrong. Every once in a while you'll meet somebody and there's, they have that personality that you go like, ah, they already don't like me. You know, yeah. they're already, you know, they're judging me or they think I'm weak or, you know what I mean? There's something that comes across. I mean, we talked about this once that remember that, uh, that I went to that second location with a hippie. <laughs> remember that this, this story reminds me of that. Right. Where things were just off. Well, so they finally get to go in once they've seen her. Withers uh, is introduced to Seton's aunt. She seems very aloof. She gets his name wrong. She calls him uh, Smithers. At one point, she even calls him Johnson. Just goes away. (laughs) It's almost, there are tiny little bits of comedy in here as well. Oh, yeah. At least they read that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's funny. I have no idea why she calls me Johnson. Maybe I must have reminded her of somebody she knew or something. No idea. They just sound like English names. She's just trying. It's that kind of thing where... You don't even want to correct them. You're like, the relationship's going to be this way. You call me, whatever you want to call me. I don't care. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Just keep calling me, whatever makes sense to you. But she seems really fixated on Withers and totally ignoring her nephew. It's really strange because she says sort of mean stuff, but she doesn't really say mean stuff. When I look on my nephew, Mr. Smithers, is what she says, I realize that dust we are and dust we shall become. You're hot, dirty, and incorrigible, Arthur. And Arthur is the name of Seton. That's his Mm -hmm. first name. So it's like... Where's that coming from? Yeah, why does she look at him and it reminds her that we're all going to die? Yeah. <laughs> what? That's a weird thing. And and I they don't say how old they are here, but I get the impression they're young-ish, like probably 11, 12. Oh, you think they're that young? Oh, yeah. Because they talk about playing games and doing doing that those types. They don't seem like teenagers to me. Gosh, I didn't even think about it like that. In my head, they were like older. They, they don't specify at any point. Yeah. But but when they're talking about like they were playing hide and seek and stuff like that, to me, that just seemed like something that they're kind of right. starting to go into adulthood. That may, Maybe 13 even. I don't know. Somewhere around there. Yeah, they do have, they refer to themselves as schoolboys. So I guess that you're probably right. So she invites them in, obviously, to eat. And when they get there, it's really bizarre because there are there's tons of food there. And it's not normal food, as in like just food people typically eat. It's like rich people food. It's like this really huge spread of amazing food. Although it doesn't sound, and that could just be cultural, it sounds terrible to me. You know, lobster mayonnaise. <laughs> it's like the grossest thing I've ever heard. It sounds cold, so bad. Cold game sausages, an immense veal, ham pie with Farced eggs and numberless delicious flavors. And wine. The whole scene does here tip into the vampiric a little bit because she has this huge appetite. She's just eating and eating and eating. Meanwhile, Seton is only eating almonds and raisins as if he's weak and he can barely, like he says he's choking those down. So you get that feeling like she's wasting him away somehow while she continues to have this voracious appetite. I'm a, I, I like stories where they do have that vampire bent, but there's nothing supernatural. Like uh, I mentioned this to you. I just watched behind the candelabra, yeah. that Liberace movie. I love that movie. Uh, well, I thought it was really great, but it, it is, if you can look at it as a vampire movie, I think, because you know, he, he cycles through these young men. Yeah gets them into his confidence, sort of takes their life away from them and then spits them out for the next one. Stories like that, I I think with that dynamic are always really good. Of course, I'm a big fan of that Val Luton movie, Isle of the Dead, I mention all the time, which also has a a thing like that going on where, you know, the young girl keeps getting more and more healthy while the older woman wastes away. But it's not overtly supernatural. As you said, she's really obsessed with Withers. This is the weird, like weird things that in the writing, it says she merely scattered trenchant remarks now and then twinkled a baited question over my head. Mm-hmm. And so she would say things like, and is Arthur a good boy at school, Mr. Wither? 
you know, calls him Mr. Wither, not Wither. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur will never make a brilliant scholar, I fear. And it's just kind of mean. It's really mean. Those are things I remember being at people's parents, going over to somebody's house and having the parents kind of insult the kid while you're in front of them. And it's always very uncomfortable. Yeah. And then it, that extends into adulthood. You're somebody's house guest and like they'll get it get into a skirmish while you're there. This happened to me recently where I, I was washing the dishes and putting them away for the people I was staying with. And, you know, the wife was like, see, he knows how to load a dishwasher. And I'm like, I don't want to be, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. I don't want to be in this conversation. <laughs> Write it down and talk about it later yeah. if it's on your mind. And that's the kind of thing that's going on. Like, oh, you seem to be a good student. Look at this idiot over here, Arthur. Just running him down. After the meal's over, she takes him upstairs into uh, this room, which is pretty tidy, but it has a lot of nautical art in it. And she says the strangest thing. She says, uh, this is the room, Withers. My brother William died when he was a boy. Admire the view. (laughs) Which is hilarious. Here he goes, your room. Somebody died in here. Enjoy. That is definitely for humorous effect. Yeah, that that was, that made me chuckle. But there's the um, very Innsmouth kind of image here. There's nautical stuff all over, but there's one black framed watercolor drawing Mm -hmm. depicting a large eye with an extremely fish-like intensity. Yeah. In the spark of light on the dark pupil. And in illuminated lettering beneath was printed very minutely, thou God seest me followed by a long-looped monogram SS in the corner. Uh, what? Yeah, don't know. I, I, I think that maybe, yeah, one of his relatives was a sailor or something like that, but it, it gave me that strange, creepy, Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's as if they came from some other place or... Uh, you don't know. You don't know, but that fish-like eye... It's never explained. And, that, well, there's this imagery running across that we get, we're about to get into where, you know, Seton's opinion is that she sees everything, and so... It's not just a painting. It's like an agent for her. The painting is watching you. Yeah, that's something he says later on. He says that the whole house, uh, Seton says this, that there are these little things around the house that help her see him and see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we'll, we'll get to that. We're jumping the gun a little bit. We are. There's Because right here, there's another thing that she does where she's running him down. Why is he so unpopular? Yeah. I do understand that you're his only close friend, which is a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> this hasn't happened to me ever, but I do know people have been like, yeah, I went over there and they were like, hey, this is my best friend. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, yeah. <laughs> Hold the I've, phone. I've known people, too, that have been like invited to be like people's, um, you know, in people's weddings and mm-hmm. don't really know them very well. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, you're asking me? Like, I don't, I really don't know you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's horrible. There's, but following through with the nautical thing, she says, don't trouble to answer me. I never extort an answer. Boys are queer fish. Uh, again, it's a throwaway line, but yeah. it's very smart writing. It's never directly addressed, and it's, it's just subtle, mood-altering writing, and it's really cool. And while she's talking to Withers, she says, oh, Seton's probably out there skulking behind a a hedge which he is yeah <laughs> it goes with that description early on that he's sneaky yeah so she says go on out there and and play with him so you're right they do it is a little more boyish because don't they what do they do they ride a horse well yeah there's a, they find a horse out in the field and they jump on the back of the horse and ride the horse around which i as a kid i would never as an adult i would never do any anything like that <laughs> find some random horse and just start riding it around that's crazy go for it. but they do but when they're riding around seaton falls off the horse I mean, he's unhurt. He's fine. He rolls off and Withers jumps off after him to make sure he's okay. And they see this woman walking with a parasol. And he's like, is that your aunt? And then he's he's like, yeah. And she goes, why isn't she, you know, say something or even look our way or, you know, pay some attention. And, And he just says, she never does. And he goes, why not? Yeah. As if, wouldn't she be interested at all what we're doing? Oh, she knows. All right. Without that's the damn awful part of it. 
Right, and this is where he gets into saying that she's somehow omnipresent. She's got eyes in the back of her head. You know? She sees everything, and what she doesn't see, she knows without. It's like, what? And he goes, okay, how does she know how to do these things? Like, people can't just know stuff. And Seton says that, well, it's because she's in league with the devil. Whoa. <laughs> you fellas don't realize what it is. I know I'm a bit close and all that, but so would you be if you had the old hag listening to every thought you think. Wow. And it's at this point, I'm I'm thinking crazy. Like, Seton is nuts. Yeah. To think that she can do all this stuff. But also, maybe he's not nuts. Then, then there's some expl- explanation of what the actual situation is here. Right. Because his father is, is gone. Mm-hmm. His mother's been gone. Right. And the aunt is not... It's not his mother's sister. Well... Basically, she's an unrelated aunt. They're not blood relations. Well, I mean, I thought they could be. Because he says, I mean, she's not my mother's sister because my grandmother married twice and she's one of the first lot. So she's half-sister, maybe? Yeah. But not necessarily? The point is that they're not they're not directly related. No. She's not a, a sibling of his mother or his father. Right. You could read this as... Well, his family died. He got stuck with somebody that he's not close to. And there's no closeness between either of them, obviously. So everything he says is just this resentment he's building up that he's now turned into. Well, she's in league with the devil and she has powers and it could just be just a bad domestic situation. Yeah. Nothing supernatural at all. As much as she's kind of railing Seton, Withers still feels like, well, she's not. She's not that bad. She's not a witch or anything. She's just maybe a little mm-hmm. rude. And so he's kind of defending her a little bit. So he says, well, you know, she does give you plenty of pocket money. And then Seton comes out with, she can't give me what's mine. It's my money. I'm going to get it all, you know, when I get old enough. I'm going to make her hand over every blessed shilling of it. He's, you know, and Seton, it's kind of bragging, like, and it's a lot of dough. Yeah. But Withers is skeptical. Well, who told you that you have this inheritance? And that just makes Seton really angry. And he stomps off. Yeah. Because he doesn't have any other living family. So how does he know he's got all this money that's coming to him? He doesn't. Yeah. Or maybe he does. And he doesn't want to tell him why at this point. We move on ahead. They're together again. It's tea time. And his aunt says some more strange, creepy things. There's an adaptation. During the scene, I thought, how would this work if you were to adapt it? And I looked it up. And there is apparently an adaptation of Seton's aunt. It's from a show called Shades of Darkness from the 80s. It's a UK show. Hmm. Came And this was, yeah, in the summer of 83, this adaptation came out. So I've never seen it. If anybody knows about it, yeah, you know, shoot us a link or something, because I'd be interested to see how somebody played this out, if it would still work. I think, I feel like it would really work as drama. If it was paced right. It feels like, I hate saying it, but it kind of feels like a David Lynch thing. Oh, David Lynch. I'm so glad Twin Peaks is coming back. I know. That blew my mind when I heard that. So it made me think of it. When yeah. <laughs> I've got David Lynch on the mind right now. Right, right. But like I said, she was at this meal. She says some creepy things. She goes, um, I hope Arthur's made you feel at home, but he doesn't talk to me much because I'm an old woman. You must come again with her and draw him out of his shell. And she calls him an old snail. And then she goes, well, maybe we should correspond together. And you could write me and tell me everything that this little creature does behind my back. (laughs) And it's like, whoa. She's making a side deal. Just right in front of him, too. You you and I will be friends. And then we can you can tell me what's up with this idiot. Which is creepy. You know, it's it's an inappropriate relationship to be having. all around. Mm-hmm. After that happens, they play some chess, but not Seton. He won't play. So Mrs. Seton or Miss Seton, we we don't know her last name, his aunt, mm-hmm. she plays with Withers and she constantly gets him in a check, but she won't let the game finish. She won't give the merciful coup de gras. 
and end the game. Right. She lets it drag on until 10 o'clock at night. And then she goes, oh, well, I guess it's a draw. She sweeps everything away and says, yeah, I guess we never got that finished. Withers is like, of course, well, you could have, I mean, you won pretty clearly. The whole thing has that vibe. She's like a predator toying with its prey. Yeah. She's drawing it out for her own titillation to like, she, she just won't do the checkmate because that's the most fun part for her is to continue cornering. Yeah. Uh, him over and over. And, and, and along with the food and, and all of this mm-hmm. business, it just really starts characterizing her as this cruel monster. Yeah. It's it's really creepy. And, and she even says that, oh, I was in a hole. You could have finished me off at any mm-hmm. moment there. I'm, I'm glad that the game ended as it did. And she burst out laughing. God, she's just so vile. So before they go to bed, though, they go into the dining, back into the dining room and just have some supper. So they just stand there and eat right before they go mm-hmm. to bed. Scene comes out with some more creepy talk. He's like uh, being spied on every blessed thing you do and think. Yeah. And he's like, uh, all right. He goes, why did you let her beat you at chess? And he goes, I didn't let her beat me. She she was doing it to me. I don't understand what's going on. He says, you must have, you must, must have, have funked, funked it. Funked it. Yeah. <laughs> I never heard that phrase before. Like he was throwing the game. And, th- and that's a great turn because you start, to, you go back to more of a real- reality where since uh, Withers is getting along with the ant, now Seton is starting to make him a bad guy too. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you're throwing the game. You're doing these things. Why, well, you could have done something against her. But now you two are in league. You know, it's that kind of, well, maybe Seton's just a crazy. Yeah. Crazy guy who's got paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> Which is totally. Uh, Understandable. Backed up by what is about to happen. And they, sure. Because, because Withers goes to bed. And like in a lot of these stories, suddenly a guy with candlelight shows up and says, wake up, wake up, wake up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Seton waking up Withers again. And it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit before 12. And he says, uh, what are you doing up? And he goes, oh, I never go to sleep before 12. Not here. And he goes, well, what do you do then? He goes, oh, I read and listen. Listen? Seaton stared into his candle flame as if he were listening even then. You can't guess what it is. All you read in ghost stories, that's all rot. You can't see much with us, but you know all the same. Know what? Why that they're there? Who's there? I asked, fretfully, glancing at the door. Why, in the house, it swarms with them. Just you stand still and listen outside my bedroom door in the middle of the night. I have, dozens of times. They're all over the place. Look here, Seaton, I said. You asked me to come here, and I didn't mind chucking up a leave just to oblige you and because I'd promised, but don't get talking a lot of rot, that's all, or you'll know the difference when we get back. Don't fret he said coldly, turning away. I shan't be at school long. And what's more, you're here now, and there isn't anybody else to talk to. I'll chance the other. I'll go ahead and chance that uh, that you're not going to like me for telling you this, because right. I'm not going to be in school long anyway. So he's got this fatalistic thing going on where right. he feels things are going to end for him soon for some reason again playing into that vampire relationship he says that i suppose she told you that this is the room where her brother died Mm -hmm. and he says yeah trust her on that one because it's it's true he holds his candle up to the watercolor of the eye right and he goes there's hundreds of eyes like that in the house and even if god does see you he takes precious good care you don't see him and it's just the same with them i tell you that withers i'm getting sick of all of this 
I shan't stand it much longer. Again, that fatalistic kind of thing. Either he's going to die or go away, or he's going to do something drastic. And odd that he he's saying, you know, Withers, what is the house full of? Seton says she brings them. Who? Your aunt? And he nods. And he's like, but how does she bring them? And again, it's that she's in league with the devil. I know that she killed my mother, but I know it's not just my mother. I know there's lots of other people. She just sucks you dry. I know she does this. She just sucks you dry. All right, another vampire. And then he says, we're all under her thumb. So he attributes a lot more power to her. This mm-hmm. still seems absurd to Withers, but... Yeah, well, he says that she hates seeing me alive because says I'm too much like my mother and there's something about my mother that angered her and she wants me dead. You can see this childish blowing up of the power of the parent, too, because, you know, I sort of like when I was a, a teenager and we'd sneak off to smoke cigarettes, go hide somewhere in a park or, you know, mm-hmm. I had a friend that was terrified of that his mother would find out he was doing that. Mm-hmm. So even if he wasn't around, he'd be like, be careful. My mom would, will see you. And I was <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, why, why should I be afraid? But he had blown up her power yeah. into this kind of omniscient disciplinarian. And I, I feel like that's a little of what this is, or you could perceive it that way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because Withers' reaction too is like, uh, whatever. She doesn't have any power over me. She she weirds me out, but yeah, big deal. Yeah, he also says something too. Don't you go and believe I care for ghosts or whatever you like to call them. We're all in the same box. We're all under her thumb. Yeah. So they're not really ghosts. He doesn't. Again, he doesn't go into any more detail, and we really ultimately don't get any more explanation about what's going on in this story. And even him saying that she's in league with the devil, it doesn't necessarily mean he's talking about the literal devil. No. It's just sort of an expression. So, you know, she's in league with these evil spirits. I don't know, man. Withers is just not having it. He's like, look, you're you're being crazy. You must think I'm a jolly noodle is what he says. <laughs> <laughs> then he says, I, I bet that if we went down to her room right now, she wouldn't even be there. And he's like, dude, I know she's there because I saw her go up to bed and she walked down the hall. She's in her bed. And he goes, OK, well, let's go check. Because I know that she's not there. Can you imagine getting roped into that? Oh, You're going to creep out in your pajamas with some guy to look and see if his aunt's in bed or not? Oh, dude. Well, it's all creepy. Just think of him coming <laughs> up to the room with a candle, you know, in the yeah. middle of the night, saying all this crazy stuff about <sighs> ghosts and killing moms. and It's crazy. And I think we can pick it up next time with them doing that creep down to see if she's in her bed or not. Spoiler alert, she's not. What? <laughs> <laughs> she's doing her own creeping around the house and... uh and that's what they're going to discover. And then and then we're going to do like a jump forward in time a little bit. Right? Yeah. Where we'll, we'll see how Seton's circumstances have changed in the future. So pretty fun stuff. Um, I'm glad that this really fit into the the, the weird tale. Oh, my God. It's it's one of I think this might be one of my favorite weird tales. It's good. I, it's yeah. really, really good. I when I first read the whole story, I thought, oh, that was interesting. I thought more was going to happen. But it kept sticking with me. I kept thinking of it. Yeah. Uh, which is really, I mean, that doesn't always happen, obviously, no. with these stories. I read Hyatt of the Shepherd and then Hyatt uh, of the Who. You know, I mean, it just kind of yeah. went away. This is a really great story. Yeah. Um, it is. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it more. I, I recommend that if you uh, if you haven't read it between these two shows, go ahead and pick it up and give it a read. This yeah. is one that's highly recommended. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank Rachel Lackey again for stepping in and getting us out of a pinch and doing some reading for us. She's uh, a treasure. Thank you, Rachel, so much. Great job, as always. I am Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. We're here at hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. Ah!